The scripture reading is from Matthew 19, starting at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said to him, All of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Good morning, everybody. I'm Howard Brown, the uh, pastor here at uh, Christ Central Church. And uh, we continue in our sermon series on the vision of Christ Central Church. As we see it grounded in Scripture, we're going to go through some of that. And this is week two of the first vision of our church. And I'm going to take a couple weeks on each vision item. This one, clear message of grace that we would live out and in and to this world God's clear message of unmerited favor, righteousness, and heavenly benefits given to us because of Jesus Christ alone. Again, this is another one of those sermons I've preached before. I think I did it last about seven years ago, but it fits perfectly here in this vision series. This passage we heard read this morning leads up to Jesus' final week before his death. And so the encounters Jesus has with people at this point in his ministry reveal with greater intensity what Jesus is planning to do with his death and resurrection and, and even clarify more the message he came to give. Many of us have embraced the idea that Jesus came to die for those who are obviously unrighteous and sinful and suffering from the effects of sin, those in poverty, despair, and depravity. But I hope we will see today that as grace is also for those who are revered and secure, righteous, rich, 
in this life. Like the rich young ruler, many have come to God and his church seeking to earn and to work for God's favor, to to be righteous, to get their lives together. We have come to cash in and, and gain based on our power and desired ability to be good people. But as this rich young ruler learned, God alone is righteous. And therefore, all human attempts to be right before him are futile. What we see from this account is that if we are going to be right with God, we must abandon, abandon our attempts at self-righteousness and be made acceptable to God only by grace. The rich young ruler's discourse that Jesus shows his futile attempts at self-righteousness and how we must abandon our attempts of a do-it-yourself approach to being God's. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. And behold, a man came up to him, and, and other texts where there, this, is in, this uh, uh, discourse is in, calls him the rich young ruler. A man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. We see Jesus ask the man, Why do you ask me what is good? And the answer is, not knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh, this man is asking Jesus as if Jesus is simply a man or teacher who has mastered what must be done to get eternal life. Jesus is a good example, is a good uh, teacher of it. He obviously seeks and sees Jesus not as as if he, Jesus, were God, but as the local expert on this thing called eternal life. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. You need to do those. I remember once, I I must have told this story a million times, but it just fits here. You know, I I was in seminary, we were going to have some dinner, and I was going to make some biscuits, and so I called my mama to know how to make biscuits so they can taste as good as hers did. The package had the directions on it, but I didn't care. I wanted to look past it. I want to be like her. I wanted to be the master of the biscuits. Didn't come out too well. But this man is looking past what is even in the Bible first. To, to Jesus to give him the steps, the, the tricks of the trade, the shortcut of being righteous. In other words, show me what and how you do it, Jesus, so I can do it for myself. And the goal of his do-it-yourself righteousness is the man's desire to better himself, to invest in something else. We see this because by ignoring, ignoring God and God's power in the equation, he's not seeking to be consumed or, or committed or, or subjugated or, or given over by something bigger than himself. To be, he is seeking to, or to be made better, he is seeking to better himself. Wanting to control it, to earn it, to deserve it, to have righteousness as his dessert or his prize. As a man who seeks to attain things as he has already successfully done by his wealth status, he is approaching eternal life as another certificate on his wall of great accomplishments. Another thing to own, a a spiritual accolade, accolade to go with his earthly treasures that he has deserved, he has desired, and he now has the moral determination and dominance to get. 
Many of you have a life story of having to work hard to get where you are and even harder to finally enjoy it. Unfortunately, we especially, those who are overachievers and hard workers for what you get and enjoy, have a tendency to take on our relationship with the God of the Bible with the same better yourself and improve yourself and check the boxes approach. And it's almost like adding a shine on an already good pair of shoes, like, like putting a gold pin on the lapel of an already pretty distinguished suit. We are going to God and coming to his church to just add a little goodness to what we have already done and track record of having already well and good. And, and all we need for Jesus from the preacher's mouth, from the church experience, are the steps, the tricks, the lingo, the tools, the safe box check, the online disconnected just doing my part to adjust who we are, to improve and add to who we are we already may be. And so we have embraced God and his church. You know, some of us as a thing, all good, hardworking African-Americans do. But what all good white Southerners do, it's, it's part of the good family resume and heritage, a good job, a nice family, and the cherry on top, the claim to being a Christian. But at Christ Central Church, man, not any Anglo-Southerner or African-American dream, but this is one that has taken the hard road of urban, multi-ethnic, black, pastor, conservative denomination, freedom fighter church. And so we're here, we're those kind of people, right? We, we, we want to take the, the hill. We want to take the mountain. We want the hard church. Oh, well, many of us have approached Jesus seeking to, to kind of add success to the kind of, you know, you get proud of telling your friends a story. You know, let me tell you about my church, blah, 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 blah. And let me tell you, it's hard down there. You know, we in the theater, all that. And while many of us approach Jesus to add success to already successful lives, others of us are looking to better ourselves from a life of disappointment, right? Some of, us, some of us are thinking, I've had a pretty hard life. I've stepped on people. I've got a pretty messed up life. I have emotional problems. I am guilty. I'm looking to get myself out of what I've gotten myself into. So we have this fervor. Give me the Christian books. Give me the Christian relationships. Give me the moral teachings of Jesus. It is the true reason some of us are so heavily involved. You know why I became a Christian? Because I was failing algebra. That's right. And my mom became a Christian, and, you know, she was on the charismatic side of things, and I thought, man, this Jesus got some power. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I don't understand the quadratic formula. Is that how you say it? And, you know, I'm like, Lord, you know it. If you come in my life, oh, man, I will be an A student. And next semester I was. I thought that's what Christianity was about. Harnessing the power of God in your life to be a victorious Christian. I was reading all that stuff too. If I pray hard enough and, and Lord, if you do this and, and God, let me tell you, get me, you know, I, I can see the horizon and, and I'm facing, you know this word, my destiny and I'm going to accomplish, oh Jesus, Right? And then the Lord started asking for a little bit more. You know, we are possibly like this rich strong ruler to get what it takes to better yourself by yourself, to, to own your religion. 
But this Jesus thing, this Christianity, I don't know who told you the lie, but it is not about owning your faith or your Lord or shaping it the way that fits you, but the Lord owning and having and buying you. You don't get eternal life. It comes to get all you are and have. It is not to be added to your life. It comes to add you to all it is. So we must abandon our attempts at self-righteousness because self-righteousness is an imperfect righteousness. Look with me at verse 17 again. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If he would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The rich young ruler said to him, which ones? Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not be a false witness. You honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus tells the young man to do the commandments and the rich young man asks him, which ones? Why does he ask this? He knows the commandments, I'm guessing. Why? He is a rich young ruler. That should tell us a lot. He has either inherited his money, right? Or or what I want to believe based on his arrogant ambition to get eternal life, that he has found an inside track to quick riches. He, that instead of working all his life and earning it, or maybe he worked real hard for a short time of his life and earned it, he has earned it by working the system, the pyramid. He's found the right product or sales pitch, and he's seeking and trying the same thing with Jesus' eternal life thing. What's the angle, Jesus, to your popularity? What's the con to this new thing? And so Jesus humors him to draw him out by giving him an incomplete list of the commandments. Did Jesus forget the first five? No. Oops, I forgot. I wrote him, but man. He remembered the ones that, knew, that he knew the rich young ruler would bite at. And he says, what? I've done all these, check. Right? And he says later, what do I still lack? You know one sure sign of being self-righteous or self-righteousness? We bite and bite down hard on issue-based faith, right? We bite down hard on, on, on those things we believe Christianity and Jesus has laid out as the which ones are the most important. And we make ourselves feel like we are next to God by doing those things that make us or show that we are really believers or or really good people. We give to the poor. We put family first. We are strong, hard-working, Judeo-Christian work ethic Christians. We are nice and accepting of all people. We don't judge or offend anyone about what they're doing, right or wrong. We are voting this way or that way. And people are looking for a church They're looking for the church, for God to qualify them based on their stand and actions on a few of the which ones, the the five or ten things that they believe they can and are doing well. I'm still getting grief over that Amendment 1 blog commentary. Letters from pastors, all kind of stuff. Ripping it apart. It was not my intention to rip you apart, but to show you love. 
Is that why you use a highlighter? Let me say this. Our, your stand or our stand or whoever else's stand on gay marriage or abortion or economy or family or immigration or poverty or, value, or family values are far from making, or let me say it, declaring you or not making or disqualifying you as a recipient of eternal life. There are too many issues. There are too many ways you could be approaching your issue the wrong way. There are too many ways you could be right one way and wrong five ways to get eternal life. Which ones? The rhetorical answer is all of them. But Jesus says this to the rich young ruler and and to you and me about being righteous. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, I like that, perfect. That's what the rich young ruler wants. He wants the A plus. He don't want the A minus. He don't want the abridged version. He, you know, he, he, he wants the perfect one. So Jesus knows he, he's God. He knows what's going on. So he says, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus basically tells him that his impartial and surface keeping of a few of the which one commandments is imperfect. But if he wanted to be perfect, get this, he would have to give up his wealth, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. Let me tell you what he is saying. Give up your ability to get what you want, how and when you want to give it. Give up all you've worked hard, not just worked hard, but worked morally hard for, right? Give up your ability to feel good about yourself because the things you hold dear as the moral and good thing and enter into my world. Give up your control. Give up your arrogance and confidence. Give up your identity, your sense of worth and righteousness seen in his wealth. And give it away to people who are poor, who are unrighteous, who may have squandered their money, who weren't good stewards and made bad choices and evil choices, who may be poor because of a criminal lifestyle. And then subject yourself to being viewed like one of them unworthy, poor. Put yourself in the place to feel and know the horrible oppression of those who see the poor as dead weight and then rest in your moral fortitude to keep you believing and helping others to believe by it that you are right and then come follow me. It was impossible. The man could not give up these things. And the method by which he was worth something to follow Jesus like that? And righteousness, righteous because he, he would be left with nothing. He would be a nobody. The man was not free to follow Jesus because he was in bondage, enslaved to the very things. And on top of that, let's face it, y'all. If we look at this as, as good, hardworking Americans, Jesus is just being unreasonably radical. He's just being plain ridiculous. 
And this man finds that he is not a Jesus fan or a Jesus truster enough. Not to that point. And that is just his challenge to the rich young ruler. Let me tell you, we don't, don't, don't get caught up in the rich young, rich young ruler thing. Look, Jesus has got a million conversations just like this for you and me. That fits our situation. Jesus is ridiculous. It's unreasonable. I'm not giving up my stuff. There's no way. You know, you just give up college football on Saturdays and follow me. You just give up college football on Saturdays and wear a South Carolina jersey. Clemson fan. Jesus would just be being unreasonable. Rich young ruler, give up all your money and put on the shirt of the poor, don't know how to manage their money, don't work hard person. And then follow me. Look like the person all your friends sit around and talk about. And then follow me. Ridiculous. This can't be Christianity. (laughs) Those letters aren't really in red. (laughs) It had to be Peter or John or one of them. And thus Jesus says this in verse 23 and 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Is Jesus making a dig on being rich? Yes and no. Yes, because most work hard hard at what gives them ultimate ultimate identity and worth. And those that have worked hard at getting and keeping are susceptible to being in bondage to making their lives mean something and are thus more unwilling to become nothing and let it go. I, and let me just use a simple example in my life. So we've been talking about getting rid of cable to kind of cut costs. I can't imagine my life Without madmen, walking dead, and college football. Y'all are laughing. It is true. And I'm like, Kelly, is there an alternative? Does it come on Netflix? Is there a way to get it online? Is there a way? Whose house can I go to? I can't imagine it. We need to cut something else. We'll just eat potatoes. But I got to watch Mad Men. It's funny, but... It's hard when you value something or you thought your valuing of it was good and God's blessing to find out it wasn't or isn't anymore and to give it up. But no, you know, 
Yes, let me go back to yes. In other words, if you've built your life and have the sheer financial and social ability to build your life to protect yourself from discomfort, tiredness caused by others, and controlling how the church and God come in and out of your life so you don't have to feel subjugated or enslaved to God and his kingdom and his church, believing God wants to and has blessed you with an easy Christian life, like like that is the goal of this whole thing, to be as stress-free as possible, then it is hard to be part of a slave-making kingdom where God's people become slaves of his kingdom kingdom and righteousness. And no, he is not making an all-out dig at being financially fat or healthy because Jesus' reflection and commentary is about human beings. That we are all in some way rich and wealthy in our own sense of, of righteousness, our own sense of worth. We are rich and hooked on in our own ability, rich or poor economically, to be moral enough. We got stuff we value. Whether we got a big bank account or small bank account, or no bank account. But let me tell you, here's the hard thing. Jesus is going to go for that right one thing you got, and you're holding on. Reminds me of the Holy Grail in Indiana Jones. They're replaying Indiana Jones right now. I saw it on TV this morning as I was working on my sermon. And... um, It just was hard. I was watching Joel Osteen first. No. (laughs) So is it getting any better? Okay. Just, anyway, so I was trying to get some help with my sermon. And so, um, in Indiana Jones, y'all remember the Holy Grail? And like, the the guy who has the Holy Grail, the priest, the, the, uh, the man who protects it, the soldier, what do you call him? Anyway, the knight, thank you, who protects it, he goes, it shall not pass beyond the gate. Right, you can't take it out the cave, right? And there's a scene where a lady with Indiana Jones is holding on to his hands, and she's like, I got it! I've only got a little bit to go! And then she falls and dies because she tries to get it, right? And then, and then you think Indiana Jones is like, man, what's wrong with her, you know? And then he gets a chance to get it. He's reaching for it, and he's like, Dad, I almost get it. And his dad's like, Indy, let it go. Let it go, Indy. Our sense of richness and desire to have and hold and control our lives. I mean, we die to get internal life that we can't use or that is beyond our reach. Our sense of richness and wealth in life is our holy grail. And we feel if we let go of it, we will be left without. And I will not lie to you. When you follow Christ, he is bound to take everything you have and hold as dear and holy grail to you and not to him. And at some point or points in our lives, as we hear the gospel, it will sound unreasonable and impossible for what appears to be what he's asking for. And we're forced to make choices every day. To walk away sad, to walk away but holding Jesus with one hand while reaching for your holy grail with the other, or make Jesus not that. To make the red words not be saying that he really wants you to be willing to sacrifice who you are to follow him. Like, like, like we can do that or we can walk with Christ and be perfect. <laughs> disciples ask a good question in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? In other words, no one, Jesus, Jesus, 
We thought you were nuts all along. This is crazy. No one will be able to give up all these things for a heavenly gift that somebody can't see. Come on, man. In fact, we have given up everything. Peter later adds on, adds and look and look as this. You know, we're going to end up with nothing. Who would give up all they have for more stress, more heartache, and walking around with a dreamer like you and be all down and out and everything being about God and all? Eternal life is impossible then if if that's how you get it. Here, Here's the word Jesus gives disciples in verse 26 to that. But Jesus looked at them, I like that, looked at them, you, and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus is like, yes, impossible. Anyone if in their right man, mind would, would do and continue to do what it takes to follow me and end up possibly with less or not much or worse, more mess in their lives, that would be an impossible choice. No one is going to let Jesus and the work of his kingdom personally, corporately like church stuff make a mess of their very ordered life. As a matter of fact, I can preach a sermon about how you shouldn't let that happen. I can preach a sermon about how capitalistic gainings and hard work and having everything you ever wanted and being in control of it and controlling everybody's lives, you know, just trying to be, you know, make sure everybody's in the right place so you don't get overstressed and overburdened and burned out. I can write, I mean, we can go and make that the philosophy of this church. It's just not biblical. It's one part. It's one part. It's the which one. And I'm here to tell you, in Charlotte, that is a message that's big. You can work, be as rich as you want to be, and then, you know, you find the church or the place that makes it non-stressful for your life. And what it allows you to do is kind of live in this controlled self-righteousness. Well, you don't really need grace. You just need the right formula, right, to continue to richly rule your world. And I don't like it. I'm not against you. I'm with you. I want to go to one of them churches too. I don't want a pastor like this. I don't want to follow Jesus like this. I don't want to have a church filled with folk like that. Man, those pastors make a lot more money. Because people pay for that kind of gospel. Man, I'm in the wrong place. Then I could have cable. <laughs> I mean, and this is how many of you feel and have felt about being a believer and committed member of this church or any church. What seems to be required of you is impossible. Impossible for my job, my family, my schedule, my personal time, and care for myself, for my vacation and time away, for my being exposed that I am not as good or put together as others. I can't risk the income, the letdown of trusting people in the church, and they not being there like I hope they would. And I can't risk my kids not being able to do all of their activities like the other kids, or for them not to be as smart as I want them to be and be in the schools I want them to be, or me not being able to be free to not have this or that person looking to me for help. I cannot risk the group of friends that I like being with or not being in, or the in crowd now that I am so wrapped up in this crazy Jesus stuff and this poor needy band of people called the church. Like me, you're probably wondering, is there there a loophole? Can I have Jesus and not have this kind of life? All through the Bible, 
It seems to say we must live with reckless and aban- reckless abandon for Jesus, for righteousness, for holiness. Is there a loophole for my impossible condition before God? The answer is yes, but you can't go through or gain access to the loophole on your terms or in your way. Like the rich young ruler realized, the loophole is not a theory. Grace is not a philosophy, a logistic or a scheme or a con or program. It is found in a person, Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler failed to realize that Jesus was more than a teacher of righteousness and an example of self-righteousness that he had to follow, but the gracious giver of righteousness. Jesus was telling the rich young ruler, if you wanted to master his class on eternal life, he had to sign up for the field study. Didn't y'all hate labs in college, those who went to college? He had to sign up for the field study, the lab, which was following him. That's some high tuition right there. Selling all your stuff, following Jesus, then you can get eternal life. Uh huh. Look at, look at the disciples in verse 27. This is real interesting to me. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I love that. Because, you know, the rich young ruler, he's the bad guy in the story, and the disciples are the good guys. Wrong. Right? The people who who got it right, hanging with Jesus. We've sold everything. Right? (laughs) When we look at their statements, they were not much different than the rich young ruler. I mean, Simple thought here. Let's go with the simplest thought going over the disciples based on what they've done in the past. Like when Jesus did the loaves and the fishes and made all that food, the one thing they're worried, Jesus, what about the food? Right? Sure, you might be God. What about the food? They're simple. They're like us. They want to know the bottom line. So this is what they're wondering. Let me tell you what they're thinking, okay? Because they're like, we've left everything. What's going to be left for us? Jesus you made this rich guy who was willing to follow us walk away. <laughs> We've given up everything, right? They're not thinking kingdom yet. All right? the, the, the disciples not are, are not as smart as you think. They like you and me, right? So they're really thinking because they hadn't gained, hadn't get, gained the kingdom process yet. Of, it's that kingdom over there. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is a giving unit right here. Jesus, what? wait a minute now. You, we've given up everything. You let rich people not become part of the kingdom. We done. There's nothing left. You ain't got nothing. You're born in a manger. Your daddy a carpenter. The economy ain't looking too good on wooden chairs anymore. Jesus, you grew up with somebody with the name on their shirt. You, you don't have that kind of job. We need the rich young ruler in our family. But, seeking, but they're also seeking to gain by what they've done. Like the rich young rulers, theirs was not perfect righteous. Not, they didn't give up everything. I had a professor who pointed this out, and I was really shocked. When Jesus looked like he was done, right, he was killed and all that about day one and a half. What did, the, what did the disciples go back and do? Fish! Where they got them boats? Look. 
the boats, they owned those boats. In other words, they had them tied up at the marina. Seriously, this is, this came out. I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that. We've given up everything. You didn't give up everything. What about those boats that you can easily return to? See, they had a savings plan like everybody. Well, <laughs> nothing. They didn't give up everything. They held on to some things. If they did, when Jesus was dead and seemed dead, they wouldn't have gone back to work. They would have continued to work in the kingdom. No, they had not given up everything. What was the difference between them and a rich young ruler? Grace. God's grace at work. Unmerited and unearned and undeserved righteousness and favor and ability was given to them by Jesus to be his and to follow him. He held them and he kept them even though they didn't give up everything to follow him. They were failures too. Look at verse 28 and 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious stone, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. It appears as if, they, as if, when you first read this, that they'll be rewarded based on what they've done, how much they've left, but we can't miss the context of the reward for following Jesus. He, Jesus, is sitting on the throne. What is being described here is this, that Jesus has earned and gained because of his righteousness by dying on the cross, walking perfectly and obediently and resurrecting the highest place in God's kingdom. Those that are his, claimed by him, will also be given grace places of honor, they first of all will inherit this through Jesus, not earn eternal life. And then he says this is regardless of birth order, where the eldest got the inheritance usually. This is so about grace and not about what is earned or deserved by the law or commandments that the first will be last and the last will be first because it isn't about rewarding according to human accomplishments or, or the law, but according to the grace of God. So Jesus' answer statement to the disciples in verse 26 makes sense. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Being God's is given freely by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Who makes you an inheritor, a child, and the follower of Jesus? God himself righteousness, eternal life, and ability to follow Jesus is that, in that is God's work is given to you and me. You can't take it for yourself. You can't give yourself the freedom to enjoy God, hear his truth, form authentic relations, and face the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. You can't build for yourself the sheer courage and let go of your own desires to follow Jesus. This kind of grace is too expensive for you and me. You know what you need and is being offered here? The welfare of the Lord Jesus Christ. The government plan. With Jesus King on the throne, the handout of God's grace 
When you don't get to order what you want or how it comes, I don't want that kind of cheese in a block in the, in the cardboard box. What's too bad? Do you have pimento? No. What kind of cheese is it? Gruyere? No, it's cheese. Can I get hard salami? No. What kind of thing is in that can? Meat. M-E-A-T. And the hard part for us, that's the only way we get into the kingdom and the kingdom gets into us. It's the only way we can get on about kingdom work, a Christ handout. And when you receive it that way, then it makes us righteous and gets us working and sacrificing again. Some of us have given up going forward. We are walking away and don't know yet what is possible for God to do for your impossible feelings and disabilities to follow and trust him. I got some good news that might sound like bad news. You are not special. The first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? Your issues and problems and hardships, though a unique combination of things, are not special. You're not different or better than anyone else in this building. And that is good news. Because that means you can't be too rich or too poor or too in the middle or too busy or too fragile or too hard or too out of touch or too close or too far away for the grace of God to be too expensive to save and change you. Jesus has made it possible for those of us who don't want to give up table to be in his kingdom. To overcome your idols, to, to, to kind of save on top of your, your mistakes and, and, and stubbornness and, and your past sins and your present addictions and all or anything that you would or have made impossible for you to trust and follow him, the Lord. The Lord inherits. He, he gathers all of your mess when he gathers you. We are spending too much energy and time trying to figure out which one. We have to do to be and feel successful and not be overburdened for a possible failure in following Jesus and becoming a believer. We are spending too much of our own resource and relationships and scheming and self-righteous like we are rich and ruling ways of trying to figure it out how it can be, not be too much or just enough for us to bear living this life for Jesus and not feeling like a failure to ourselves and God and others. Stop! Stop it! And come. Give up trying to, to, in fear of losing or losing it, and be gotten by it. Come. Get in the welfare line of the Lord's Supper when we have it. Come this week. Make time to get in that addict's non-anonymous, because we are Christians, Circle of those addicted to their selfishness and the world and their sin. Yes, come get not food stamps, but what I like to call faith stamps of the gospel to feed and free you this week in a, in a learning community, a Sunday school. It is a handout for your impossibility. It's a handout of the most expensive thing you could ever get. God had to buy for you the grace of God. You can't let go of the stuff. You can't get rid of the feelings. I understand that. But isn't it kind of backwards that the rich ruler in control types need God's welfare more? I do. I think I'm something. 
It is only grace. The power of God at work in you that will make you say and live like it is true. Lord, to say, Lord, I don't know how and what and even why you're going to do and bring your kingdom and eternal life to and possibly through me. Considering all that's in play. But by your grace, In my tiredness, in my disbelief, what's impossible for me to do and get and gain and claim, possible by your grace. You're the Savior. Get this. You are the Savior of failed rich young rulers. We see Jesus around the poor a lot, yes, but he is the savior for folk like us who are overachievers and, and omnicompetent and control freaks. He have y'all for lunch. He, he, like, he likes y'all. story is told about a big estate sale of a rich man who died. And all the people in the town came. He had a big estate. Lots of antiques. Lots of oriental rugs. And folk gathered for those things. People with big money, ready to drop, drop it. And one old man came up. He didn't have much. He only wanted one thing. So people gathered with their wine and cheese. And the auction started off with a painting. Not a great painting. Not a Van Gogh. Not a Da Vinci. Just a painting. And the old man, everyone was like, man, come on, $2. Get on with this. And the old, old man was like, $3. Going once, going twice. People like, let's move on. Let's get to the rest of the state. He said, sold to the old man in the back. And the old man said, this is a picture of the rich man's son. And I remember how much the rich man loved his son and how his son died for our country, gave his life for our country. And so this is a picture remembering him and the old man had it painted. The people are like, okay, yeah, yeah, we don't care about your dumb story. Just move on, old man, with your $3 painting. And the auctioneer said, boom, auction over. Auction over? I paid $2,500 even getting this auction. It's written in the man's will. Whoever got the son gets everything. I know you're looking beyond for order, for control, for things that make your life better. If you got the son, you got everything you need to do what God's called you to do and be who God wants you to be. 
See, Jesus was the rich young ruler, didn't you know? Except he was a perfect rich young ruler. He came down. He lived for 30-something years. He left the wealth of heaven. He left his father. He gave up everything, his throne, his life, to die for you and me. And like he told the rich, the rich young ruler, if you want eternal life, give up everything and follow me. Jesus won eternal life. He actually lived it perfectly. And then he gave it by grace to you and me. Failed rich young rulers will inherit the kingdom of power and love by grace and expensive grace.